All right, go to your Bible to Judges chapter 6. I know a few of you got a new Bible, so you can use that one. Judges chapter 6. This is what it said, starting in verse number 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves that are in the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come, with, they would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now, a couple of thoughts here. The first one is, if you have read the Bible in its entirety, you might remember that in Numbers, the people of Israel first encounter the Midianites in their time in the wilderness. And the Lord tells them, you are to destroy all of them. But what happened was that some of the men of Israel saw some of the ladies of Midian, and they said, you know what, we kind of like them. And so they began to intermarry and they began to bring them in. And in short, they preserve the people of Midian. Here's the lesson. The lesson is this. If God tells you to destroy something in your life or to get rid of something in your life. Now, I don't think the Lord tells anybody to destroy people anymore, right? Can we all agree on that? That's not what I'm preaching. That's not what I'm proclaiming. But there are things in your life that the Lord would say to you, you need to get rid of that. You need to destroy that. You need to forsake that. And the temptation that you might would fall into is to, to strike a bargain with the Lord. And say, you know what, God, I know it's not great, but it's not sin. And you strike a deal with God. And the reason that the Lord is telling you to destroy it is not because he's trying to keep something from you, but because he's trying to get good to you. And if you do not destroy the thing the Lord has told you to destroy, what you will find oftentimes is that thing will come back to destroy you. And so it says here in the very first verse, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord allowed, essentially allowed the Midianites to come in and to subject them and to torment them and to hurt them because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now understand that this is not necessarily the Lord's punishment. Rather, this is the Lord's discipline and Him allowing circumstances and situations to discipline the people he loves in order, and we see this in verse 6, Israel was brought low. In other words, they were humbled. 
they were at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, and they cried out to God, please help us. And that's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord disciplines us for. It's because more than likely there's something in our life that is displeasing to him. And because of his great love for us, not his anger, but his love for us, he allows situations and he uses hard times and, and trials and, and, and tribulations in our life to humble us, to bring us low, to, to the point where we remember, God, I am so dependent on you. Please forgive me for ever thinking that I could do it myself or do it on my own. God, forgive me for this evil that I've allowed in my life. Forgive Forgive me for the sin that I've allowed in my life. Forgive me for whatever it is, God. And Lord, I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to turn to you. Please help me. Please forgive me. And so that's where we are in the book of Judges here as we read about our next greatest hit. And that greatest hit is a man named Gideon. So Father, we are grateful today, grateful for the testimonies, grateful for your work in us and through us. God, grateful for men who aren't just fathers biologically, but Lord, they are fathers relationally. God, I, I pray that over the next few moments that you will help me to stand aside and so that you can step forth and speak your word how you would have it spoken, to say what you want to say and to do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One more time. Can we show our love to the Lord? Amen. I said earlier, I, I, culture has told us uh, for several years now, I don't know when the shift happened. Uh, it would have probably been sometime around the 60s or 70s. And it began to shift in our country where the view of men, the view of manhood, the, the view of the father begin to take a downturn, a downshift in how it is presented and discussed. And I just want to tell you right now, I rebuke that perspective. That's not of the Lord. Uh, there, I know that this might even come across controversial, but I, I don't even believe that there's a such thing as toxic masculinity. I believe that once masculinity becomes toxic, it's no longer masculine, it's something else altogether. And our world is trying to destroy gender. It's trying to destroy manhood. It's trying to destroy womanhood. And to requote Chad, again, it's good to be different. In a world that looks like it does, acts like it does, talks like it does, I'm ready. I'm, I'm okay with being different. I'm okay with being weird. I'm okay with standing above the fray. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay if I don't always come across politically correct because I would rather be correct before the Lord than I had be before uh, culture. And, and I, don't, I don't say all of that to, you know, just get a, 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 a round of applause from all the people that agree with me. I say that because I think it needs to be said. I say that because uh, it's time that we, as the church, as men of God, as the people of God, rise above uh, all the noise, all the actual toxicity that we see about, that we, that we hear about, that we see. And, and, and be different. Not necessarily just tell everyone else they should be different. But be different. Be different. The book of Judges here 
uh, was written about 3,000-ish years ago and is of so little relevance to us today. Let me just tell you what's happening here. Uh, the people during this time in history uh, were committing evil. They were erecting uh, false, idol, demonic gods and so, so evil, so much so that they would have uh, this idolatrous uh, god set up where they would have prostitution as part of it, where they would sacrifice people and have child sacrifice. So, uh, so obviously, you know, crazy stuff's happening, and, 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 but not relevant to our day because we don't do crazy things in our world today. We don't, we don't offer children on the table of mutilation in our world today, right? Can I, can I, just, can I just be real with you this morning? It's, oh, well, this afternoon, sorry, you're going to be a little late for your lunch appointment. If you got a brisket in the smoker, it's going to just get more tender. Don't worry about it. Right, Matthew? Yeah. And so, as I told you earlier, the Midianites should have been wiped out by Moses, but they weren't. Again, when God tells you to destroy something, you better listen or it may come back and destroy you. And the book of Judges is called Judges because they continued through this cycle. And we'll talk about this morning moment as well, where they would serve God, but then they would turn from God and God would allow them to be judged. And then they would cry out to God and God would raise up a judge or someone who would raise, rise up from within the ranks of the people of Israel who would lead them back into the ways of God. And so we are introduced into Gideon in this story here. And so in verse 11, it says this, the angel of the Lord came and he sat down under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. This Basically, he's just sitting under a tree, okay? And while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And so I just want to say, I gotta, this, is, this is for everybody, but this is specifically for the men of the house. Okay? Is that okay? Uh, ladies, this, this is for you to a degree, but ultimately this is for the men. And the Lord first gave this to me as something like, hey, this needs, you need to do these things. And so I'm passing on to you what I believe the Lord has revealed to me for me. So number one, I want to tell you today, men, it's time to come out of hiding. Gideon, just like everyone else in Israel, was hiding. He, remember, this is, this, is, this is nothing relevant to our culture today. Hopefully you understand the sarcasm implied here in this statement. Not relevant to our culture today. He was aware that there was a problem in the world. He was aware that there was a problem in his country. Uh, but instead of addressing it, he hid from it. In fact, he was so uh, set on hiding from this problem that he took a job that is supposed to be performed out in the open, threshing wheat, right? Where you take something like a, a pitchfork and you, and, you, and, you, and you stick it into a bunch of wheat and you throw it in the air out in the open and the wind will take the chaff that is among the wheat and will blow it away and the dense wheat the, will then fall to the ground. And so he, he's hiding. Hiding, he's so uh, determined to hide from the problems of his day that he is making his life more difficult for himself. Because instead of threshing wheat out in the open on the hilltops where the wind can get it, he's down in a wine press where literally is, essentially is a pit dug in the ground. You pour grapes into it and you walk around on them until you, you squeeze all the juice out of the grapes. And so this is what he's doing. He's threshing wheat down in a wine press. And he, and okay, obviously now you know it, there's not a lot of difference between what's happening in Judges and what happens in the world today. Because the, the Bible may be old, but it's eternal, right? Yeah. 
It's not an old book, it's an eternal book. And so he's threshing wheat, he's doing this, and he's hiding. And he, like many of the other Israelites, and honestly, if we can be truthful about it, like many of us, hide from the problems that we see going on in our church, in our families, in our homes, in our communities, and ultimately in our world. I think the greater revelation that we see from what Gideon is doing is that he believes someone else is going to take up this responsibility. Someone else will rise to the occasion. I'm just going to do what I need to do. I'm just going to take care of myself. I'm just going to take care of my family. And someone else will rise to the occasion and do something about it. And can I just tell you, men of God this morning, that is a lie. If you do not take a stand, there is no one else to take a stand. If you do not choose to own the mantle of responsibility to be different, to speak up, to speak out, not just to tell everyone else they need to be different, but to you yourself choose to be holy and set apart and use for the purposes of the Lord. Listen, we got young men and women sitting on this front row that, if I can just be a little disciplinary towards you, seem to be a whole lot more inclined to be different than many of you sitting a little further back. Who will, if I ask uh, some, of, some of the adults as you walked in this morning, hey, will you take this microphone and give a testimony to the Lord? Your, your first response would be like, ah, that's not, you need to ask somebody else. Right. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm meddling now, right? Y'all are like, yeah, culture's going to hell, church is right. Oh, no, no, see, this isn't about everybody else being different. This is about us being different. Yeah. That was prophetic, brother. Yeah. And, and see, that's the problem. We want there to be change we just don't want to be changed okay let me get back to my notes stop being nosy brisket's gonna get dry if i don't hurry up our world our country our church let's just be real about it though i have to be honest i have to tell you what the lord gave me is full of men who are hiding when god has made them and called them to fight to stand out. Now, now listen, we're not talking about fist raise fighting, right? The other day uh, in our kitchen, we were having a conversation about, you know, pre-Jesus daddy, you know, right here, like pre-Jesus. And, and my, I think it was Julia, she looked at me and she says, they were we were talking about fighting and I, I used to get in a lot of fights. And, and Julia snarkily said, did you get beat up? <laughs> and to which I was honest with her and I said, sometimes I did, yes. I'm going to own that. I truly, you know, I'm not going to lie to my kid. I said, but sometimes I did the beating too. Okay, all right. I just need you to know. Uh, but that's not the kind of fighting we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about fighting more so on our knees than we are with our fists raised. We're talking about fighting with surrendered hearts more so than, than, than knuckles and elbows, okay? And, and Paul says it like this in Ephesians. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, uh, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That word wrestle comes from a Greek word that means to engage in an intense 
struggle. I'm going to say it again. Our fighting, however, our struggle, our intense struggle is not done with raised fists, but with lifted hands, right? And surrendered hearts, right? With, 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 with calloused knees. That's how we fight. And our fighting is not against people, right? If you're going out and getting in a fight with somebody out on the street or even somebody on Facebook, all right, now I really am meddling, right? And you start that back and forth stuff. Can I just, can I just give you some loving advice. It's possible. It's possible that you are doing the kingdom more harm than good. Nobody's ever been argued into following Jesus. Nobody's ever been argued into repentance. No, that happens because the Holy Spirit changes their heart. And the way the Holy Spirit works is when men and women of God pray and intercede, right? Now you're quiet. Now you're quiet. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not scared. You see, our fighting is not against people. It's not against, it's not against Facebook posts. It's not against tweets. It's not against the news media. It's not even against Washington. All right, now I'm really getting into your business, right? Our fighting takes place in the spirit world against demonic forces. Listen, we, we like to talk about the Holy Spirit up in here, right? We talk about the Holy Ghost. We talk about speaking in tongues. We talk about prophesying. But let me just tell you something right now. The Holy Spirit's not the only spirit there is. And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit on fire for the Holy Spirit so that when you come against demonic spirits, spirits they, they, they tremble at you, right? They don't take advantage of you. Okay. Man, it's time to come out of hiding. It's time to stop deferring responsibility. It's time to stop assuming someone else will come along. It's time to come out of hiding. And secondly, it's time to come into your God-given identity. Judges chapter 6, verse 12, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Gideon, and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I would imagine in this room today many of you are living under a false identity that this world or some other human or possibly even you yourself have given to you versus the identity that the Lord wants to put on you. You may not feel it, uh, no more than Gideon felt it, but I believe that if you were standing face to face with Jesus today, he would look at you and say and call you a mighty man of valor. Gideon certainly didn't feel it. He begins to argue with God. He, he basically begins to tell God, well, God, if you're with me and, 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 and I'm all this, then why have all these bad things happened? Why is Israel in the, in the way, it is, in the shape that it's in? Why are all the, these things going wrong? God, if you're, if you're with me, Lord, uh, why does why my life look the way it looks? Why am I threshing wheat in a wine press. If you're with me, why am I hiding? Lord, how can you call me a mighty man of valor? I come from a, a nobody family that comes from a nobody clan among the tribes from a nobody tribe, right? In other words, what, what Gideon is saying is I'm a nobody. I, I come from nobodies. I've only ever been a part of nobody people. God, I'm nothing. I'm the weakest. I'm the smallest. I'm the least. That's exactly what he says. And there was a quote. I want to remind you of this quote that was on the, the 
blackboard of my history or my English teacher while I was in high school and it said God has a history of using the insignificant to accomplish the impossible and the beautiful thing is my friend it hasn't changed it hasn't changed you might want to argue with the Lord and you might be saying God I'm this and I'm that and I come from this and I've done this and I've done that and the Lord would still look you square in the eyes and say I'm with you you mighty man of valor. Because your preconditions to be used by the Lord are not uh, regarded upon how much money is in your bank account or how many muscles are on your bicep, right? Or, or how smart you are, or how many books you've read, or how many Bible verses you can quote, or even how many hours a day you pray. No, 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 no. All the good things that God wants to do in you and through you are a result of his goodness, not your goodness. The Lord is with you, mighty Man of valor. And and then verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and he said, Go in this might of yours. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the land or from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Go in this might of yours. In other words, there is something inside of you today. And you probably don't even know it. But I hope by the end of this message, you will have at least started to scratch the surface off of it. Go. In this might of yours, save Israel, save your land, come out of hiding and own the fight. Come into your identity, know who you are, know to whom you belong to. Do not I send you, the Lord is saying. In other words, God is telling Gideon and the Lord is telling us today, it's not about what you bring to the table. It's about who brought you to the table. I'm going to say that again. I feel like that's the Lord. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's about who invited you to the table. And he invites you to his table. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. Man, it's time to come out of hiding. It's time to stop listening to the voice of the enemy and come into your God-given identity. You man of courage. You man of valor. It's time to commit yourself fully to the Lord. I, I want to meddle a little bit. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use Gideon as an example. No, notice, though, before God starts telling Gideon to change things in his life, before God starts saying, hey, this is sinful and you need to address it, the Lord calls him and the Lord gives him an identity that's very important because too often what we try to do is we try to change things before we've ever gone to God and asked for help to change those things does that make sense and so Gideon has come out of hiding has accepted God's call on his life but before he can enter into all that God has for him some things in his life need to change can I just can I be honest with you I I would venture to say that for every single person in this room myself included There are some things in your life that if the Lord laid it out all on the table, he would say, these things need to change. Can we just own that? Can we just accept that? Can we not run from that? Right? Okay. Some things need to change. And so he tells Gideon, you've got to commit yourself and your family fully to the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 25. This doesn't get preached a lot when we talk about Gideon, but it's it's worth your time. He says, that night the Lord said to him, this is still in chapter 6, pull down the altar of Baal, that your father has 
and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. These are false demon gods that they would, that they would erect and they would worship. When they needed rain, they would go to Baal. When they, when they couldn't have babies, they would go to Asherah. They would go to Baal and they would worship these, these false gods. When they needed victory, instead of going to the Lord God, they would go to these de- demonic false gods. And he says, cut these things down in verse 26 and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of that stronghold there. This is another little mini sermon within the sermon. Whatever stronghold is in your life, whether it be pornography, whether it be some sort of addiction, the only way you're ever going to conquer that is not by trying harder, but by putting God on top of it. Okay. All right. And so, so throughout Judges and throughout much of the Old Testament, and dare I even say throughout much of our own lives, we see this cycle of, it starts with apostasy, right? Where we, we begin to get comfortable and complacent, right? And, and we begin to turn away from the Lord. We, we don't necessarily turn from God on purpose, but we begin to bring other little things into that relationship. And so by doing so, we commit what's called apostasy. Then, and this, these are theological terms, and then that, that results in God allowing nations, or a lot of times in our lives, allowing things in our life to oppress us or in their day to conquer them. And that's called servitude, which then leads to a place of supplication where we, we go to God and we're like, God, I'm so sorry, I've messed up. Please forgive me. Please forgive us in, in Israel here. Please forgive us for our idolatry. Forgive us for our apostasy. God, we, we, we repent. We need your help. And then God sends salvation. So we see this cycle from apostasy, apostasy to servitude to supplication to salvation. And see, here's the thing about Israel. And dare I say, the thing that we struggle with even today, even in Lifehouse Church, not just the church, but even in our church, the thing that we struggle with even in our homes, even sometimes the thing your your pastor has struggled with, is that we don't necessarily turn our back on God, but we invite other gods into that relationship. Little g gods, right? And that is called syncretism. There's another theological term for you today. I'm going to do some preaching and some teaching. And Gideon is no different. Remember, his father is a priest for the demon idol god called Baal. But here's the deal. The Lord is a jealous God. This is is from the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image or anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for other gods. You say, well, Pastor Drew, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have any Baal idols in my house. I don't have any, I don't have any Asherah poles in my house. You know, I'm, not, I'm not bowing down to these other gods. But may I submit to you that we are pro- far more prone to idolatry than you might believe. Because anything for you that you get your fulfillment from, what you find your purpose in, or what gives you the most ultimate form of joy. So, man, it can be yourself. It can be sex. It can be substances. It can be pride. It can, be, it can even be your children. Children. Uh, and we live in a world today that essentially has fallen oftentimes into the sin of idolizing our kids where our whole lives revolve around them, making them happy, not preparing them to be holy men and women of God, but rather vicariously trying to live through them. 
Many, many, many of us in this room may struggle with, the, with idolizing our cell phones or idolizing a lake or a golf course or a boat, right? I, I mean, I wish sometimes I had a boat to idolize. That'd be great. But in all sincerity, the problem that we face often is not that we turn our back completely on the, on the Lord, but that we invite other little g-gods into that relationship with the Lord. And the Lord says, I will not tolerate your affection. See, tolerance is not a spiritual gift. Can I just say that this morning? There ain't no such thing as tolerance, first and foremost. It doesn't exist. It's a made-up word that doesn't work in the world. And the Lord doesn't tolerate our affections. And so what happens is when we start inviting those little G-gods into that relationship with him, he says, no, 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 no. I'm a jealous God. Don't, don't you be turning Don't turn to that TV. Don't turn to that sports game. Don't turn to that ballpark. Don't turn to that ball field. Don't turn turn to that lake or that golf course or whatever to find joy and purpose and fulfillment. Now, those things aren't bad enough. Can we just agree on that? I'm I'm not saying those things are bad. But when they take precedence in your life over God, the God says, I will not tolerate that. I'm a jealous God. Idol worship essentially takes place when the created, or yeah, when people worship the created instead of the creator. When they find their security. You know, we could talk about worshiping jobs and bank accounts and savings accounts and stocks. And when they worship the created. Over the creator. Where they, when they find their purpose. You know, can I? No, I'm not going to do it. Is that Sarah? <laughs> do it. That was amazing. That was, my, that was better than a pat on the back right there. Thank you. When you've. And so what we often do is we take these good things that the Lord has blessed us with, our families, our children, our spouses, technology, transportation, hobbies, and recreation, and friends, and and we take these good things and we try to make them God things. But God, he, He won't... Let me say it like this. You cannot give God 99% of your life. He won't take it. He doesn't want it. God, you, you can't give God 99.9% of your life. God, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll follow you. I'll listen to you. I'll obey you. But I'm still going to look at porn once a week on my phone. God, I love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to preach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out of hiding. I'm going to come into my God-given identity. But Lord, I ain't, I ain't tithing to the church. You okay? Lord, I, I love you. I, 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 I want to follow you. Uh, but I'm not going to pray with my wife. Because that's too awkward and weird. I mean, you want me to just keep making stuff up? You want me to keep going down this road? If I keep talking, I'll hit yours in a moment, right? God, I love you so much, but you know what? 
one Sunday a month, I'm still going to go to the country club instead of church. Because we got tournaments and leagues. I'm, it doesn't work that way. God is either number one or he's not counted among anything in your life. And, that, and that's, that's the problem. We have, and, and preachers, myself included, we've been guilty of it. For probably the last 80 years of preaching a false gospel of inclusion, and I don't mean inclusion, I mean inclusion where we try to preach this gospel that following Jesus is easy. All you have to do is pray a prayer and then you're saved and you're going to heaven when you die. Do you know that's not in the Bible anywhere? No, Jesus says if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That means I can only go where he goes. I, if I go somewhere without him, then I'm not following him. And so, so for, on behalf of the last 80 years of false gospel preaching, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have presented this idea of following Jesus as something that only takes you praying a prayer and then you're good. Because my friend, as much as, uh, that, as appealing as that may sound, that is just not how it works. That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. Somebody made that up because they wanted to add more converts to their little checklist card. And then well-intentioned preachers for decades after that felt like it was a good idea, so we did the same thing. But raising your hand with all the eyes closed and all the heads bowed and praying a prayer after a preacher, that, that doesn't make you a Christian. Looking like Jesus, living like Jesus, talking like Jesus, behaving like Jesus, going where Jesus goes, that's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you a follower of Jesus. That, was, that is what makes you different. Okay, back to notes. You guys okay? You've got to commit yourself fully to the Lord. And today, you know, if you're, if you're owning this right now, there is God's grace. And even right now, if something comes to your mind that you know that you have not given yourself fully to the Lord, He is faithful. The Bible says He is faithful and just to forgive you. All you need to do is repent. God, please forgive me. And, and understand that repentance is not just getting forgiveness. It is making the decision to turn from the sin that you know that you're doing and follow Jesus instead. And so, men of God, it is not just enough to come out of hiding. It is not just enough to own our God-given identity. We must also commit ourselves fully to the Lord, faithfully to the Lord. And all of the other little g-gods that we have invited into that relationship, they have got to die. They've got to be killed. The, to use the good Old Testament word, they've got to be slaughtered. Because what you don't destroy will destroy you. So we come out of hiding. We, we come into our God-given identity. We, we commit ourselves fully to the Lord because he will tolerate no competition for our hearts. And, and once we've done these things, then we are ready to conquer the land. Now, many of us, we hear the story of Gideon. We know the story of Gideon. Gideon uh, is told by God to take your army and you're going to go fight the Midianites. First of all, you guys okay? I'm kind of taking my time here, okay? Brisket's not getting dry in Jesus' name, okay? Ribs are, are golden and going to be golden, delicious, and tender in Jesus' name, right? Okay. And so Gideon goes to fight the Midianites, and the Lord says, you got too many people. And so he takes 
Time to whittle Gideon's military down from 32,000 people to 300 people, right? And he says, all right, we're not going to take any swords, but we're going to take some trumpets because that's, you know, what you take to battle. And we're going to take some torches and we're going to take some jars, for, you know, some water jars. And instead of going in and into the camp of the Midianites and defeating them, you're just going to encircle them. And at the sound uh, that Gideon gives you to do so, you're going you're gonna to bust your jars open. You're going to hold your torches in the air and you're going to blow your trumpets. And, that, and that's how God wins the battle, right? Three, uh, 300 people defeat the entire army of Midian. And, 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 and it's amazing. They, they wind up, it's kind of gruesome, but they wind up killing each other. Like in the confusion of the camp, they just, they just I don't know, man. I guess, you know, praise the Lord for electricity and nightlights, right? <laughs> and here's the thing. Most of us, when we talk about the story of Gideon, every time I've ever preached on Gideon before, I end right there. And we're like, oh, this story of Gideon, it's great. Look what God did. And yeah, it is great. And look what God did. And God will defeat your enemies. And he, he won't do it in natural means. He'll do it in supernatural means. But we don't always just learn from what people do right in the Scripture. Sometimes we learn from what they did wrong. Yes, amen. But the greatest lessons I've ever learned in my life are not from when I succeeded, right? But from when I failed, when I dropped the ball, when I sinned. And so... Gideon conquered the Midianites, but can I tell you today, he didn't conquer the land. And I don't mean conquer in a negative way. I mean this in the most positive way. See, Gideon's story, as we often tell it, sounds great, but his legacy is not. Gideon had many wives and many concubines. And while this was not expressly forbidden thus far in Scripture, it was highly discouraged. In other words, let me say it like this. Just because something isn't sin doesn't mean it's good. And just because something is good certainly doesn't mean it's God. When you start asking the questions, can I still do, and then fill in the blank, that kind of shows you the condition of your heart is not fully committed to the Lord, but rather it's fully committed to you getting away with the things that you still want to do. There's no such thing as finding a loophole, right? We don't do that. This isn't the IRS. This is the kingdom. You're either all in or you're all out. That's, that's really the gospel. And so Gideon had many wives. He had many concubines. And he allowed his fleshly desires to circumvent spiritual wisdom. And because of this, Gideon did not conquer the land of his own heart. Men, we've got to conquer the land of our heart. And, and, and then after his death... His family drama really begins to escalate. One, I want you to hear this, one of his 70 sons. We don't even know how many daughters he had, but we know he had 70 sons. One of his 70 sons murders all the others and then makes himself king of Israel. Let me say it like this. Gideon spent more time investing in himself than he did his family, and it shows. Come on, I believe there's some fathers today. I'm not trying to beat you up, but I'm trying to build you up. You're, building, you're spending way more time putting money in the bank than you are putting love in your children's hearts. You're spending more time hitting golf balls than you are with your, with your wife and your children. Okay, all right, see, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you couldn't handle it. Sarah said, go on. So I'm sorry, Stephen. It's her fault. He can handle it. 
Gideon did not conquer the land of his own heart. He also did not conquer the land of his home. Man, we got to conquer our homes. And you understand, I don't mean we're not dictators of our home. I mean that we are spiritual leaders. Am I making myself clear on that? And that we take the time to invest in our spouse, invest in our children, invest in our family. Because ultimately, there, there is no greater calling on your life than to invest in the generation that is following us. And then, number three, as soon as Gideon dies, this is so sad. Maybe one of the saddest verses in the Bible, Israel turns her back on God. Listen to this, Judges 8.33. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal Barith their God. It doesn't even say ten years after Gideon died. But as soon as he died, as soon as he was gone, his influence disappeared with him. Let that not be said of us. As soon as he was there, no longer, people went back to doing the same things they were doing because Gideon did not truly conquer the land for his people. He may have conquered the Midianites, but he didn't conquer his heart, he didn't conquer his home, and he didn't conquer his land. And because of that, the story that we tell of Gideon, you know, the Bible, all the things about him, they're great, it's wonderful, it's great. But his legacy, not that great. So, so we can learn from his successes, we can learn from what God did in his life, but let us also take the full story and learn from where he failed. Not, not that we want to beat up on him, but we want to learn from him, right? And so we've got to conquer the land, right? And, and so his legacy, not a great legacy, but, but yours can be. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It, it doesn't, none of those things matter. Everything that matters is what you decide to do from this point onward. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 8.37, Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All these things, anything that you were up until this moment, your failures, your, your problems, your mistakes, None of those things have to define you. None of those things have to define your legacy. You can make up your mind right now that who you choose to be from this moment, a man who will come out of hiding, a man who will come into his own identity, the identity that God has given him, a man who will commit himself fully to the Lord, and a man who is committed to conquering the land of his own heart, his own home, and his own land for the glory of God. God can use that man. God can do great things, not just in, but also through that man. A few Wednesday nights ago, we shared some of our story. And some of you don't know some of it. And this, I won't go long here, but I'm the, I'm the product of adultery. I come from a line of people who were alcoholics, addicts, struggled with intense mental illness, my father, when he was a young man, walked into a house where he found his own mother, my grandmother that I never met, had just taken her own life. And that was my father. My father died at 50 years old. My grandfather died at 57 years old. In other words, men in my family don't live to see their grandchildren. They destroy their lives. They destroy their bodies. And in a lot of ways, they destroy their legacy. But God, but God stepped in, right? At 12 years old, I began to drink myself. I was at a racetrack, and 
I was given some, some liquor and then some beer. And there's a rhyme to that. But, but I began to drink pretty consistently at 12 years old. At 13 years old, I hated everything about myself. I hated how I looked. I hated uh, how I felt. I hated where I lived. I hated my entire life. At 14 years old, my father passed away. And a month before I gave my life to Jesus, I was holding a, a deer rifle in my hand, fully committed to taking my own life with it. But God changed me, changed my life, changed my destiny. And with the help of God, I will leave a different legacy than the men in my life before me. Amen. Let me say it like this. I'm going to move fast. And men, just get ready. I'm going to call on you in a moment. I refuse to inherit a legacy that I don't want to pass down to my kids. I refuse to allow my heart to be held captive by the fleeting things of this world. I refuse to allow my home to be occupied by any other spirit than the Holy Spirit. I refuse to sit idly by while de demonic forces run rampant across our land. I refuse to chase temporary pleasures in exchange for eternal rewards. And so today, men of God, this is for you, the ones of you who will say, Pastor, I am ready to come out of hiding. I am ready to come into my God-given identity. I am ready to commit myself fully to the Lord. I am ready to conquer the land of my own heart, my own home, and my own people. Husbands would say, I am ready to love and to lead my wife into a deeper relationship with us and unto the Lord. Fathers, I am ready to be a Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-led man of God, Father to my children, showing them not by word, but by example, what it means to be fully, to, to belong fully to the Lord. That young men, that single men would say, I am now, I am ready even now to set myself apart for the purposes that God has for me. I am ready to be used as an instrument for his righteousness. I am ready to be led by the Spirit in my conversations. I am ready to stay pure, to keep my eyes pure, to keep my mind pure, to keep my ears pure so that I may appear before him holy and blameless so that the things of this world do not penetrate me and infect me with their ungodliness that I would be set apart for him I'm ready man of God that you would say I'm ready to become all I am meant to be to do all that I am meant to do for the glory of God my heavenly father